Chapter Twenty of the Green Odyssey by Philip Jose Farmer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty. Though he hated to go back into the altar room, he forced himself. The scene of carnage was bad enough, but not as repulsive as he had expected. Dust had thrown a gray veil of mercy over the bodies. They looked like peaceful gray statues. Most of them had not burned on the outside, but had died because they'd breathed the first lung-scorching wave of air directly. Nevertheless, despite the look of peace and antiquity, the odor of burned flesh from Aga hung heavy. Lady Luck bristled and arched her back, and for a moment Green thought she was going to leap from his shoulder and run away. He said, "'Take it easy,' then decided that she must have smelled this often before. Her present reaction was based on past episodes. Probably there had been great excitement then. The cats, being taboo animals, must have been figures of some importance in the sacrificial ceremonies. Cautiously, the man approached the wall of dirt behind the altar, even though he did not think there would be any danger for some time to come. The altar itself was comparatively undamaged. Surprised at this, he ran his hand over it and found that it was composed of baked clay hard as rock. The chair and metal rod had not been torn loose. Both were tightly bolted down with huge studs which he supposed had been taken off wrecked rollers. The victims that were tied in the chair by the savages must have been sitting looking at the audience so that their backs were to the wall itself. That meant that when the rod was dropped to make contact between the wall and victim, the discharge only burned the sacrifice's head. Evidence of that was the fact that only skulls were stacked around the altar. The charred head was severed and the body carted outside to one destination or another. What puzzled Green was how the audience managed to escape the fury of the blast and of the dust, even if they stood at the farthest end of the big room. Determined to find out what happened at those times, he returned to the doorway. Just around its corner in the second room he discovered what he'd not noticed before, probably because it was placed so upright and so firmly against one side of the wall, and because its back, which was turned away from the wall, was also made of gray metal. When he switched it around so he could see its other side, he was staring into a mirror about six feet high and four feet wide. Now he could visualize the ceremony. The victim was strapped into the chair and a rope was tied around the rod. Everybody but the priestess, or whoever conducted the rites, retreated from the altar room. The conductor himself, or herself, then stood in the doorway and released the cord. Before the rod could make contact, the conductor had stepped around the corner. And there the audience saw in the mirror placed in the doorway so it reflected the interior of the altar room the ravening discharge of a tremendous electrostatic blast. And immediately afterward, no doubt, they saw nothing because of the dust that would fill the two rooms. Strange and strong magic to the savages! What myths they must have built about this room! What tales of horrible and powerful gods or demons imprisoned in that wall of dirt! 
Surely their old women must whisper to the wide-eyed children stories of how the great cat spirit had been caught by their legendary strong man and savior, some analogue to Hercules or Gilgamesh or Thor, and how the cat spirit was the tribes to keep prisoner with their magic, and to appease from time to time with human kills from other tribes, lest it become so angry it burst through the walls of the earth and devour everybody upon the floating island. Green knew that it was hopeless to try to dig through that wall, even if it would be safe for days. It might only be several feet thick, or it might be twenty or more. But however thick it was, he bet that anybody who had the tools, time, and strength to excavate would find embedded somewhere in that mass several large dust collectors. He didn't know what shape they'd take, because that would depend on the culture that had built them, and their tastes and decorations would differ from Green's multi-millennial later society. But if they had architectural ideas similar to present-day Terrans, they would have constructed the collectors in the shape of busts or of animals' heads, or even of bookcases with false backs of books filling them, books that would in reality have been both chargers and filters. The busts or books would have been pierced with many tiny holes, and through these holes the charged particles of dust would have drifted. Once inside the collectors they would have been burned. Looking at the blank dirt before him, Green could see what had happened through the ages. Some part of the burning mechanism had gone wrong, as was common of mechanisms everywhere. But the charging effect had continued, and though the dust had piled up around the collectors, the extraordinarily powerful fields had continued to work even through the thick blanket. In the beginning, of course, their field could not have caused any human being harm. But these batteries must have been built to adjust to whatever demand was made of them, though their builders, of course, could have had no idea of how great that demand would some day be. Nevertheless, it had come, and the batteries had been equal to it. By the time the savages had found this room they were blocked off by this imposing wall. Through the death of their fellows they had discovered that touching the wall caused a terrible discharge of electrostatic electricity. The rest of the apparatus for execution and the ritual that went with it was foregone and logical, religiously speaking. Green swore with frustration. How he would love to get through that dirt before another charge built up! On the other side must be another doorway, and it must lead to the fuel and control rooms for this whole island. If he could get inside and there figure out the controls, he'd turn this island upside down and shake off the man-eating monsters. There'd be no holding him then. He remembered the story of Samdrew, the tailor who turned sailor. The legend went that Samdrew had rolled a wreck upon just such a roaming island as this one, had wandered into just such a cave and through rooms like these. But he'd found no barrier of electrically charged dirt, and had walked into a room which contained many strange things. One of them was a great eye that allowed Samdrew to see in it what was happening outside the cave. Another was a board which contained many round faces, over which raced little squiggles and lines. Of course the story had its own explanations for what these things were, but Green could hardly fail to recognize TV, oscilloscopes, and other instruments. Unfortunately, 
His knowledge was going to do him no good. He wasn't going to get through the dirt, nor was he to be allowed time for excavation and exploration. Every minute on this island meant that he was traveling back to Quatz and his revengeful duchess and getting farther from Astoria, where the two spacemen and their ship were. He had to find a way of getting off this place and onto some means of transportation. He left the death chamber and went into the next room. After slumping down against the wall, between Amra with Poxy in her arms and Inzok with Grizzquetter in hers, he chewed some dried meat. Lady lucked me out for some and he gladly gave her all she wanted. When he'd swallowed all he could without bursting, and had washed that down with great draughts of the warm and sweet beer taken from the priestess's hut, he closed his eyes. Now it was up to his vigilante to take the food and rebuild his wasted tissue, throw off the effects of auto-intoxication, tone his tired muscles, relax his too taut nerves, readjust his hormonal balance. End of chapter 20